This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Hello, this is Pablo Sabaleta. This is Troy Dene. This is Kevin Phillips. This is Jürgen Klopp and you're listening to The Big Interview with Graham Hunter. Thank you, Jürgen. Look, I travel to all these interviews from Barcelona, and our socios keep us on the road. This independent podcast simply wouldn't happen without them. Please head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now. Join us, become a socio, a member, and you'll get extra big interview content every month, plus lots of bonuses. We need you. We can't do this without you. Hello and welcome to another episode of the big interview at the World Cup. I'm Neil White and with me to talk about the first two quarterfinals is Graham Hunter. We're recording this first segment between the two games. France have just beaten Uruguay 2-1 and we know not who they will face in the semi-final, Brazil or Belgium. Well, we talked about this one in preview, Graham. You mentioned the resources of Uruguay you didn't draw the comparison with Scotland at that point but the fact remains they have a smaller population than than the nation to which you and I both belong and and yet they keep on showing up at the dance time and time again perhaps what they lack in comparison to France is the depth of resources and maybe that's what we saw in this game yeah you talk about resources Neil this was a game for me where people will be talking about Muslera and that dreadful error that he made to kill the game. They'll be relating it to Karius um, and the Champions League final in Kiev. I accept all that. But this, to me, was a game of resources. A game where, if you look at um, the way we talked about Cavani's absence, and while I didn't say that um, Stuani would be able to fill his boots, I thought the gap between what might normally be the damage done to Uruguay with Cavani out compared to the gap that might be the case now that Stuani had had such a good season for Girona last season, his record-scoring season, maturity, learned in England, I thought the gap might not be as damaging, as small. Whereas Stuani kicked Lucas Hernandez a couple of times, but didn't kick the ball. Um, 
Suarez looked um, isolated. It was more than the um, damage of a great striker, a prolific striker not being there. The partnership was broken and Suarez was less. Yet, very few people will mention the fact that Blaise Matuidi would have started it and not been for suspension. The guy who Didier Deschamps chose from a number of um, uh, alternatives, including Lamar and Fekir, the guy he chose was Quentin Tolisso, and Tolisso is absolutely essential in the win. He makes um, the difference in both of the goals. And given the fact that he's the backup player, he's the direct comparison to Stuani stepping in for Cavani. That, to me, overall, is where the game turns. It was a fairly explosive start from Uruguay, but when once they went behind, it was hard to see them coming back. You know, that gap between Cavani and Stuani is kind of emblematic of all the problems that they faced, even though it wasn't um, a beautiful victory for France in the way that their win over Argentina was. There are so many places in that France team that you can stop off and say, well, he had a fantastic game or he's a fantastic player or you know, there's a potential threat for their opponent in the semi-final. And we're recording that, let's timestamp it, in between the two quarterfinals on Friday. I knew you'd enjoy the detail and the, the control and the intelligence of France's performance. Where I want to go to is the way in which the opening goal comes around. And it's about um, France repeatedly doing more things right and making fewer errors. So, for example, one of the things I could have seen a great deal more of for my taste during the game was the battle between Laxalta at left-back and Mbappe. I really wish the game had been um, sent more their way, that the ball was more in that direction, so we could have seen this sporting and physical battle which was emerging and there was there was bad blood as well which a little bit of that never goes amiss but when the ball is out there and, and lacks out uh, just before the goal gets the ball in field to Bentancourt he, he repeated the old story from George Best about I know a guy who could trap the ball further than I could kick it well that that's what Bentancourt does his left back gives him the ball in a dangerous position but legitimately gives him the ball and when the ball um, goes to him Bentancourt just makes a complete bollocks of his control and then the ball bounces loose. Now, that blurring shape that you see racing towards it isn't Kante, it's Tolisso. Again, I go back to the point, when they have to replace Matuidi, the way in which they replace him is with this midfielder from Lyon. He's so quick onto the ball that he nips up possession and what you see, I I heard people talking about um, Bentancourt's decision about being you know, a needless foul. That's just misinterpreting completely what was going on in in his head. He knew he'd screwed up royally. The the brain synapses, the intelligent part of his head wasn't saying, jockey, do like I would normally do if it was somebody else's mistake. It was like, oh my God, look what I've done. Dive in, try and recuperate the mistake, draw it back. I I can get away with this. It's like being at the casino at the tables. And you're losing and you keep throwing good money after bad. That's what Benton Coeur did. And Talisa was so sharp that when he's fouled, it's a really cleverly earned free kick. And when that free kick is taken, the thing I liked is that if 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 you if you put aside the need for spectacle in a game like absolute dramatic theatre, then what you can sometimes get is precision. And you could see the way in which France have been working all week. Number one, they said to each other, this is a team that makes a virtue of of getting the ball long, 
um, trying to rake the ball out wide to Suarez and to Cavani that are good aerially, that are good at set pieces, but they don't like having possession. They actually have a coach in Oscar Tavares who makes a virtue of not having a possession and he likes to get shots on target, get into the danger area. It's not quite Jack Charlton football. But what it's very clear France have been saying to each other all week is technically they're not that good. If the ball is like a pinball bouncing around in danger areas towards their goal, if we press them, we'll do them a hell of a lot of damage. And that's what happened. And when the free kick's taken, what I really, really like was, was two things that need to be pointed out. Everybody saw the stutter run. Griezmann's stutter run comes because it's um, he's there on the ball and he's lining up with Pavard, so the ball can go from Griezmann from outside to in, or Pavard looping from um, inside to out. And at the back post, there's Giroud. And that means that they cannot discard Uruguay, the possibility of the ball going long. The stutter run means that Uruguay break their line, and the guy who takes advantage is Varane. And the villain, and it's absolutely clear, is um, Vecino, which means neighbour. Well, this was a very distant neighbour. Vecino is touch tight when the move starts, when the free kick is about to be taken, because it's a mixture of zonal and man marking. The zonal looks okay, the man marking goes badly wrong, because as the stutter run happens, Varane just pushes off, just two hands on, not holding, not hugging, none of the fouls, just uses the position of Vecino to push himself off to go towards the outside of the penalty box, knowing that the ball is not going to be released immediately and that what Griezmann is doing is what you sometimes see penalty takers doing, that little stutter run. At any rate, when when Varane bends his run back in, it's perfectly in tune with Griezmann's ball. Vecino is nowhere. Vecino's going, what just happened? His balance is on the wrong foot. And what you see is Varane glancing his header past a stationary... Um, Stuani. Now, it's not Stuani's fault. He's positionally in the front edge of the box. The, the kind of role that you see uh, Luis Suarez fulfilling for um, Barcelona all the time, making sure if the ball's dropped in short, he's in the right area. That's the whole purpose of zonal defence. So Stuani looks stuck, but it's not been his job to look for a running Varane. That job has been lost by Vecino, the neighbour, and Varane's header is absolutely glorious. Despite all their treasures, and despite Uruguay being without Cavani, this could have been very different were it not for one big moment in two big parts. First, Hugo Lloris's huge save from Martin Caceres, and then Diego Godin, my man of the tournament so far, putting the rebound over. Yeah, listen, we need Elaine Page singing, because I know you so well. I knew you'd want to mention Diego Godin, because you did yesterday. And it's also worth mentioning Jimenez, his defensive partner. I didn't like the way in which um, he was slaughtered. Um, by the commentators for for breaking down tears with a couple of minutes to go, which meant that with added time there was seven left in the game. You, you highlighted in the build-up to this match the fact that Uruguay have a, a passion for football, an intensity about their need to compete, and and that, that equates to maybe what Scotland felt like in, in the mid-70s. Certainly, I would equate it to the time when I was first becoming acquainted with the Scotland national team in seventy three when they made that brilliant performance against the reigning European champions, Czechoslovakia, to beat them at Hamden and, and pretty much assure qualification for the 1974 World Cup. I felt that was a time when Scotland was still identifying itself individually and, and nationally by the performance of the football team. And that's what it's like. That's changed in Scotland. Um, but that's what it's like in Uruguay now. Now, Jimenez did himself no favours. The game was still going. 
stranger things have happened than them getting one or two goals back because football is weird. But rather than humiliate him, make an effort to understand that that that's Uruguay's national pride on 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 the floor. That's that's a measure of of what takes this nation of, as you pointed out, what three three point two million. Uh, people to, to the top table of tournaments over and over and over again. As we pointed out, um, I think fourth in 2010, certainly competed a semi-final, won the Copa America, and therefore it just frustrates me that people don't understand more fully what was going on there. And and Jimenez could have had a better game. Uh, poor old Godin could have squared the game. That's the key point. When that free kick, almost immediately after France going 1-0 up, comes in, and Torreira puts it beautifully right between um, Pogba and, and Giroud, right onto Cáceres' head. The header's brilliant. The commentator I was listening to, who this time wasn't speaking in, in English at all, was a foreign commentator, immediately went, Gordon Banks, Gordon Banks, to evoke that 1970 save from Pele. Yuris' save was absolutely fabulous. But the follow-up, for Yuris to get back up again so quickly, just to get his body in an awkward shape, whereby Godin couldn't use his natural foot, his right, to ram the ball into the roof of the net, meant that his left foot turned out to look as if it was a clearance, hiking it into the stands. It wasn't Godin's most elegant moment, and it, and it probably, in retrospect, it probably cost them being competitive for the remainder of the match, and I knew that you'd be sore watching it, so I'm glad you admitted that. France, in the end, looked comfortable, though, from Griezmann dropping into midfield to... Kante apparating all over the pitch to your favourite, Stephen and Zonzi coming on to shut up the shop. It wasn't in doubt, was it? Yeah, you're right. I take your point. Let's wrap it up with a little look at how the game went beyond Uruguay, from my perspective at least, because I think it's important that, you know, while Pogba spoke after the match and having squirted his water bottle at the camera that was interviewing him, um, he went on about how We've already won a technical match, a grandstand match, a theatrical match whereby we had to outplay Argentina. Now we've won a physical match, a nasty match, a match where rage and pride were dominant and, and it was strategic, tactical rather than technical. Now he said, he also used this really good phrase that I like and Griezmann said exactly the same in a separate interview when they said, two more matches, we ain't done yet. Not let's win the semi-final, not one game at a time, which you've heard so often in football. They both said, it's like the Blues Brothers, we're on a mission. So listen, they got the band back together and what the band did in the second half, I found interesting because again it features Tolisso and again it features this idea that quality will out. It goes back to your original comment that there was lots to like about France, irrespective of it not being a, a 3-2-4-3 thriller. And the point I'm making is, once again, when the ball is bouncing around in midfield prior to France going 2-0 up, what happens is that Torreira, again, it just looks like a footballer who, with better quality people around him, can be a dog of war can be important. He he hustles, he harasses, he's got a good, a decent first touch. He lays the ball off well. But unfortunately, our old friend neighbour, Vecino, just couldn't handle it. When the ball comes down quickly, he's Rip Van Winkle and um, Paul Pogba's the alarm clock. Pogba absolutely ripped through um, Vecino, didn't commit a foul, ripped the ball from him, pushed his way up field, ignored the right-sided pass, saw that Tolisso was there, gave that little flick, Tolisso gave it to Griezmann and Griezmann scored. Muslera 
just had an apparition, just had one of those moments where keepers go, what the fuck did I do that for? But the key thing was, when the technique was needed, when the alertness was needed, when the better footballers needed to prove that they were better, Pogba did that, Tolisso did that, Griezmann, Julie did that. And Griezmann didn't celebrate, in case you're wondering, because of all he owes in his past to Uruguayan football, football and, and people from Uruguay have helped and developed him. And that meant that he just didn't want to celebrate the goal. He put it in the net, though, and that put France in the semi-final. I found enough to like in that uh, game. And, and the thing I'll leave you with, Neil, is my impression from what I've watched Griezmann and Pogba saying in French post-match was that the thorn in their side from Euro 2016, the way in which they lost in Paris to a Cristiano Ronaldo-coached, Eder-inspired Portugal, that thorn is not out of their side and won't be until they reach the Luzhniki on the 15th and win it. Can they? Well, this was partial evidence. We have one semi-finalist in the bag and I'm intrigued to see what happens next. As I said, we're recording this in between the quarterfinals and by my watch, Graham, 7.01, let's get the TV back on. You got a cold one in the fridge? Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We're back. And Graham, we have been treated to another unmissable game. A first half in which Belgium were worth every inch of their 2-0 lead and a second they ended clinging on by their fingertips as Brazil created and missed a series of chances that would have taken the game to extra time. Yeah, I'm glad you've injured it like that, Neil. I I think that this was one more um, piece of evidence that arguably the Russian World Cup, a World Cup which was so controversial because of the... Um, the way the country is led and because of some of the actions that we believe um, Putin and his government to be uh, culpable of. When you extract the actual tournament 
the people who've been at it, the people who've organised it, the people of Russia who've um, thrilled to it, thrilled to show us a different face to their country. I can testify to this firsthand. Then games like this, on top of that, games like um, Spain, Portugal, games like Belgium, Japan, games like France, Argentina, but again and again, moments or attitudes, goals, saves, controversy, the the fact that VAR has established itself as potentially very, very um, useful, very beneficial to the game and completely different to what the doomsayers were predicting about its role in this tournament, which was nothing short of utter chaos and, you know, clown slapstick. This game tonight between Belgium and Brazil has has set a seal on the fact that arguably you can place this World Cup amongst the all-time great football tournaments because of the the treasure trove of fun and surprises and attitudes and skill and shocks that it's brought to us. Very few sterile matches. I've used this throughout our reporting from Russia um, and since Spain went out. To me, this is a World Cup more influenced by the attitudes and behaviour and tactics and style of the Champions League than any other previously. And that's why we're seeing end-to-end football, again epitomised by Kevin De Bruyne, who, in scoring his uh, goal tonight, the second of the evening, effectively the winner, um, to, to see him standing um, practically on his, on his own goal line and to race the length of the pitch and finish in the way he did... It, it, it's, it cannot be categorised as simply breakaway football or counter-attack football. It's to do with a type of high skill, high technique, high energy, high fitness, end-to-end football, which is directly equatable to the brand of football which Zidane introduced at Real Madrid, which initially, and, and probably to this day, the most hawkish Spanish critics said... He does nothing but throw all the jigsaw pieces up in the air and see if they all land together. It, there's not enough tactics. There's not enough seriousness. There's not enough gravitas. It's all just attacking football. And Zidane won three straight Champions Leagues. And now football of a similar nature, at least related to that concept, where front foot, where attacking, where open games, spread games predominate. They're not. It's not exclusively so, but this Brazil-Belgium uh, match was exquisite and um, I'm glad you introduced it the way that you did. Thanks. I think I've done better work, but I'll take it. It wasn't all thrills, certainly not from Brazil, and pretty early in the game, I was getting messages from you about decisions Chite made before the game. You know, much as though I loved the game, it wouldn't be me if I didn't constructively find fault with certain things. So, for example... Given that Brazil knew that Casemiro was going to be absent because of suspension, it isn't simply a case of Fernandinho playing for him. It's about what are your tactics given that it's not a like-for-like replacement? What are your tactics given that Casemiro, when you lose him, stops you from getting that anchor in midfield, be it his positional sense, his athleticism, his power his ability to break forward with the ball, or whether it be the dark arts, the fact that you would not like to meet this normally pleasant guy up a dark alley on a Friday night because he'd have a a knuckle duster in his glove. He is definitely somebody who wants to win by hook or by crook, but he is also 
a really clever, really experienced footballer whose great leap forward came under Julian Lepotegui, ironically, when the two of them were together at Porto, one year on loan for the Brazilian. Now, him being out left, for my taste, um, OK. Tite, the Brazilian coach, clearly didn't anticipate the way in which Fellaini was going to be put in the Casemiro role in Belgium, not simply to do what he does well. It wasn't a one-dimensional move. It, the idea was that without Casemiro to imp- imp- oppose him, then Fellaini, for as long as he lasted, would be able to do all the things that Casemiro is so strong at, whether it's aerially winning the ball, whether it's bossing the game physically. What um, Brazil didn't seem to do is react either to what might happen and pre-planned or to what was happening, which left when Belgium were dominating the first half and effectively, again, using a tactic that I think has grown thanks to the Champions League, which has grown thanks to Pep Guardiola reintroducing it, um, firmly at Barcelona, 4-3-3. Now, De Bruyne and Hazard dropped a little bit, but in all 4-3-3 modern terms, you will get the, the two wide players dropping and tucking in, trying to work midfield a little bit because it's imperative. And that led to superiority for Belgium in the midfield in the first half until Tietje responded and understood what to do. But why was it that Brazil didn't think ahead and say, what if? Um, Belgium changed their style. What if they try and boss the midfield physically because Casemiro's not there? It took too long for Brazil to wake up physically, tactically. There was an air of complacence. They definitely thought, boy, look at the way in which Japan cut through Belgium. You could see in Brazil's play, well, this will just fall to us in due course. And, and there were chances while the build of Belgium's dominance in the first half. There were opportunities, clear opportunities, when the ball hit the post, when Neymar seemed to be running right, when Coutinho was on form. It did look as if it might be punch, counter-punch, and Brazil might gradually edge ahead on points. But when Vinny Company makes the run across goal, never mind the fact he only glances it, who was marking company? Not just in the run. There's nobody runs with him. And in the initial point, one of the best headers of a ball in that Belgian team, and there are many, is unmarked. Now, look, you know my point of view on that, that talent flares, talent is allowed to soar once the organisation and the tactics and the strategy are agreed and planned and affected. What were Brazil thinking about, Neil? All right, we talked about Lukaku's role in Belgium's third goal against Japan. You called it the goal of the tournament, but I thought he had an even better game here. Alan Shearer at halftime called it close to the perfect centre-forward performance. What did you think of the big man? I, I think the points that we talked about were glaringly obvious here tonight. Um, when Lukaku plays like this, he is a facsimile of Didier Drogba. He doesn't have the same technique or the same experience. And Drogba went through a metamorphosis at Chelsea which changed him from raw power to somebody who thought more about the game, who intimidated opponents, whose technique definitely improved and whose ability to do the right thing with the ball over and over again just exploded. Now, maybe Lukaku is in the process of that metamorphosis. He's carried a very big stigma about what does he produce against the very top sides? Well... 
This was against Brazil, and despite the fact that his run um, for De Bruyne's goal had the ball bobbling off him in just about every joint in his body before he brought it under control and slipped just a lovely pass to De Bruyne. What I think this showed in terms of what we were trying to preview was that, one, he's blindingly confident. He absolutely feels that he can do anything, outrun anybody, that he can supply anybody that he has got the energy to show for teammates over and over again and one thing that's really important to me when you've got technical players all around him and when you've got speedsters on the bench like for example Carrasco and when the coach says rather than build up play and Lukaku is the end point and clearly Roberto Martinez and Thierry Henry are not saying that. They're saying that Lukaku is a central element in the build-up rather than the target man. One, the boost that gives Lukaku is giant, and you see a different confidence. And while he can still be ungainly, he's playing in a different way because they've told him, what's the Jonathan Livingston Seagull uh, poster about seagulls? They can because they think they can. That's what's happening with Lukaku right now. And another factor in that, the aerodynamics that keeps the wings going, the players around him believe too. These elite footballers want to keep giving him the ball because they know that predominantly now he'll do the right things with it. He'll protect it, he'll turn, he'll make the right run, he'll make the right pass. And when I got typically Bumper Graham excited about the dummy that he produced to let Chadley score against Japan when the natural thing for a goal scorer to do is to try and tap it in at the keeper's left-hand post himself, even though he's marked. The flowering that that's given his his confidence and his his belief that he'll do the right thing is just a joy to watch. Another player we've talked about and now we'll talk about no longer is Neymar. He was involved a lot, but not always in a good way. I don't think I want to see his highlights reel from this tournament. Neymar rolling, diving, cheating, excelling, flying, soaring, nearly, nearly taking Brazil into extra time, which would guaranteed have won them the game in due course and put them in the semi-final. But for Thibaut Courtois, who looks like a character out of Mad Men or Suits, doesn't he? (sighs) Neymar's first attempt at a dive was fantastically spotted by... um, Milorad Mazic, a Serbian referee who, when I've watched him, has looked as if he's adept, like bright. Um, But for my taste in the Champions League, has always allowed too many fouls before he'll clamp down with yellow cards or red cards. Now, his technical ability isn't in doubt as a referee, and nor is is his athleticism. And I thought that was the key to the first penalty shout by Neymar, which was blatantly showed to all of us on replays that it was an outright cheat. In fact, heinous, worse than the rolling and faking injury. That was trying to cheat a fellow professional, and I'm not a fan of that. If there's a touch, if there's a tackle, and you want to call attention to it, you take the risks. As far as I'm concerned, you you try that trick, and if you get something, mm, you know, fair chops. If you just leave your leg into somebody and and get a penalty that can put another country out of the World Cup, then it's outright cheating. And Mazic, the thing I want to emphasise before we talk about VAR is that Mazic is in bang on the right position, calls it exactly, tells him to get up, but doesn't book him. Now, it's an automatic booking for cheating like that. Now, here's the moral maze, and every social will have their view on it, and mine is that 
when it comes to VAR, what we could see is that led by uh, Daniele Orsato, the Italian, but backed up by two Germans and uh, Pavel Gill, a, a Pole, there was a big debate when Vinnie Company slides in and as far as I'm concerned, um, my memory tells me it was Gabriel Jesus, a little nutmeg and then a dive in by um, Vinnie Company. And there is no question whatsoever that that's a penalty. Now, strictly by the VAR rules, the idea is that VAR is supposed to save us and the game from decisions which are manifestly wrong. It's absolutely palpable saving and injustice. So the fact that they wouldn't give this when maybe some would interpret it as the ball having gone out of control, gone out of um, play, maybe the tackle from company or the the fact that company's down on the ground doesn't actually impede his opponent sufficiently. Maybe there was enough grey area for Messrs Orsato, Borsch, um, Gill and Spire to say, we back the referee's decision. But that was a penalty in my view. No question that that company not only committed a penalty, but knew he had. Now, I wonder if in the referee's mind, there is a balancing up about what do I do in this instance? Do, do, do I remember my pre... They're all human beings, which we forget. We don't talk about enough. They have it in their mind all the time. Um, I think that they, they, they sometimes do make up for previous decisions. Now, in that instance... I think Brazil were denied. In, in my mind, there's no question that later on when Neymar goes up and there's a slight touch on the side of his cheek with um, the Belgian player's pinky, there is no penalty there again. But they go out of the tournament with a, a righteous claim that probably in one occasion they were denied a penalty. The key thing is the embarrassment that Neymar needs to now think about suffering out of the World Cup in a game that he threatened to win on his own, out of the World Cup with his reputation stained, growing four years older without a World Cup medal to his name. Could this be a point of inflection? Could this be a point at which either Neymar himself or people around him say it's time to concentrate more on the game than the gamesmanship? I don't know, but I'd like to believe so. Neymar aside, Brazil created some huge chances to level this game in the second half. How many times did we see a move unfold and you were just thinking, goal? Let me finish on the how the hell section of this. I say the how the hell section because how the hell did Coutinho supply an assist pass like that to Renato Augusto and then miss so wildly the clean shot on goal that he was given, which could have been the equaliser. How the hell did Renato Augusto make a second brilliant run right down the middle in the Paulinho slot with Belgium utterly ripped open down their soft underbelly and hook his shot wide? How are Brazil capable of minutes of utter sublime creative brilliance and then that lack of killing touch in a football match? Both Renato and Augusto and Coutinho will will have nightmares for months to come about the fact that either of them, in fact, if both of them had scored, never mind extra time, that was going to be a win, short and simple. Then how the hell does Roberto Martinez come up with a smart, savvy game plan 
where De Bruyne is moved out of his previous position against Japan and runs the first half for fun, playing beautifully, passing beautifully, scoring a wonder goal. And then in a second half, when Hazard and De Bruyne consistently leave the relatively limited chances they get um, to make killer passes, they they consistently leave the passes short in a demonstration that after the drama of the Japan game, they are drained. They are physically and mentally very close to being spent. And Roberto Martinez, who's been bright and daring in designing the, the game strategy, how did he look around at his bench and see superb, hard-running, quick, dangerous footballers like Carrasco, like Mertens, a phenomenon in Serie A, Janusai, um, winner of the England game, Dembele, able to take and carry and hold off Brazil and relieve tired legs. How on earth was it that he waited until Chatley's legs were falling off um, to make a change? The the shock factor around uh, Tielemans for Lukaku, I understood the gamble. You know, Neil, um, you're, you're, you're all in in poker terms. If Tielemans makes sure that you go through and Lukaku's tiring body isn't one that gives away a counter-attack and you get through, it's a piece of genius. If it's 2-2 at full time and you're going into extra time without your principal striker and De Bruyne and, De Bruyne and um, Blumen Hazard are knackered, then suddenly the country, instead of calling you a tactical genius, is saying, what kind of tomfoolery was that to make that change? So I understood the all-in nature of that, and he won his bet, which which makes you a champion, which makes you, you know, king of the chips. But no change for a tiring midfield, whether it be Fellaini or Witzel, or whether it was Mounier who'd been booked. No chance for Carrasco, no chance for Janusai, Mertens, Dembele. I didn't understand it. And therefore, lovely people, it's just as well that it was Bob Martinez from Jada in Catalonia who was on the bench and not me. OK, thanks, Graham. That's our show, folks. We'll be back this time tomorrow with Graham's analysis of the second round of quarterfinals. For now, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting our World Cup shows. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Dini, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rustoleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustoleum. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.